It has been called the sword of the spiritual life, and countless saints have recommended it. Uh, and Our Lady has called us to pray it every day, and that is, of course, the rosary. Up next, we'll be speaking with Dominican uh, Father Gregory Pine, who will be sharing his wisdom on the rosary. Stay tuned. everyone. Thanks for joining us on another episode of The Catholic Gentleman. We are blessed to be joined by Father Gregory Pine. We are also blessed that you are here with us. If this is your first episode, please hit that subscribe button wherever you are. If you've listened to quite a few of these, you like what we're doing, we'd love it if you wrote us a review, gave us a five star on either Apple or Spotify. Both helps the platform and allows it to get to more men. If you are looking for a, a way to grow in holiness. If you're looking for an opportunity to support a good men's ministry, we would love for you to prayerfully consider us. We have launched the Catholic Gentleman Plus, which is a phenomenal program that's coming out session over sessions every month with new things. This month, we have the uh, session on prayer that we are discussing. We actually have a hermit that's joining us who's going to talk to us about prayer, and I can attest that it um, was, was incredibly powerful. In addition, in What's so perfect for this episode is that our challenge this month in Catholic Gentleman Plus is to pray the rosary daily for men. And that's exactly what we're going to talk about today on this episode. So head over to Catholic Gentleman Plus. You can see that link in the show notes. If you are a woman and you are looking to support a ministry, we are so grateful. We have a lot of moms, a lot of wives, um, a lot of mothers that are just uh, looking to support and help. They've got sons, etc. Head over to CatholicGentleman.com and you can see the support page there. So anyways, Without any more of that, we are so grateful to be joined by Father Gregory Pine, a friend of the show and a friend of both Sam and I, and uh, we are just grateful for him to be here. He is, if you didn't know or haven't heard any of these things, he is a Dominican friar of the province of St. Joseph. He is also a doctoral candidate, almost done, we hope, with dogmatic theology at the University of Freiburg there in Switzerland. He served and he is serving as the assistant director for the Thomistic Institute. He's also the co-author and author of a number of books, one of which you can find on Catholic Gentleman's website on Prudence. And uh, he's also a co-contributor and a frequent on two podcasts that you might have heard of, Pints with Aquinas there with Matt Frad and Godsplaining, which is the Dominicans. So, Father, how are you doing today? No, I'm doing well, thanks. Yeah. How are you? Good. Are you um, here in America or are you over in Switzerland? I'm here in America. So I, uh, at the time of recording, it's been maybe like three or four weeks since I've been back. And yeah, I got back on June 11th and then promptly, you know, kind of, what's the word that I'm looking for? I don't know why, like my process becomes so tortured. Instead of saying like I was at, I say, I found myself at, she's <laughs> like, come on, bro. Um, yes. Yeah, so I, I, I just like jumped into a bunch of things here in Washington, D.C., and then I took my personal retreat, and then blah, 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 and thus and such. And now I'm basically back in Washington, and I'm preparing courses for the fall and kind of getting up to speed with the Mystic Institute stuff. And yeah, it's good. It's good. That's awesome. Well, we're grateful. And we want to talk about why men should pray the rosary every day on this episode. And so we thought to ourselves when Sam and I were preparing, who better than to talk to a Dominican, to talk to Father Gregory Pine, a Dominican, because... 
for our listeners, St. Dominic was the one who was given this beautiful devotion uh, from our Blessed Mother. And so we couldn't be more grateful for you to be here. I also know that the Dominicans are running a rosary pilgrimage in September 30th that we'll have time to talk about at the end. But why this is so important for us and for men is that we get these questions all the time. First off, why should I pray the rosary every day? Or maybe they say, I'm too busy. Or we get this one also very frequently, which is I tried it for three months. I prayed it every day and I noticed no difference in my life and therefore I gave it up, right? There's this sort of transactional nature with um, prayer that that some men have. And so I'd love for you just to um, start out and let us know what are your thoughts about praying the rosary daily and uh, and why should we commit to it? <laughs> Uh, yeah, great. So let's lay lay down a little base. So uh, I'm a Dominican friar, and part of our book of constitutions and ordinations stipulates that we should pray five decades of the rosary on a daily basis. So why do I pray the rosary daily? At this stage, I can say without hesitation or further clarification, it's because I have to. Uh, yeah. But there are plenty of things that we have to do, and it, we don't speak of them in such terms simply to suggest that it's like, oh, man, what a burden, what an imposition. But like we bind ourselves to the things which we know to be good. It's like, yeah, I have to go home to my wife and kids. It's like, yeah, you do. You absolutely yeah. do. <laughs> <laughs> um, so that's 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 from the perspective of the present. But uh, from the perspective of the past, it was also a big feature in my family's life. So my parents took us on pilgrimage to Medjugorje when I was three, 1991. I was born in 1988. That's right. Yeah. Math checks out. Um, yeah. And uh, so, you know, like the alleged apparitions or the apparitions of Medjugorje. I, I think we can just say apparitions of Medjugorje insofar as like the first several days, the content of the first several days was said to be, you know, like in keeping with the gospel message or mm -hmm. seemingly uh, veridical. So I don't remember exactly how I have to craft my speech, but there you go. That's what I'm going to say. Uh, so, so we went in 1991 after, you know, 10 years of apparitions and it's still going on now. So after what, like 42 years of apparitions and, and, um, you know, like in, in part of those messages, our lady says to the children, I give you five stones against your Goliath. And you're like, Oh my gosh, five stones. I hope these will be like life hacks or sweet ways by which to accomplish spiritual perfection in short order without a, like any of the requisite, you know, wear and tear or hustle and flow. And then she says, you know, read sacred scripture, um, go to confession once a month, uh, make good use of the mass, you know, so uh, receive the Holy Eucharist, uh, pray with the heart, the rosary, which she suggests praying daily. Uh, she encourages praying daily and then fasting. So fasting on bread and water on Wednesdays and Fridays. And then you hear that and you're like, dang, that's, that's just the gospel. <laughs> Um, so yeah, it, it, as a result of which it featured prominently in my family's life of prayer. So it wasn't something about which I was always pumped, man, such tortured prose, Gregory, learn how to speak like a normal human being. I wasn't pumped about it all the time, uh, but I'm glad that my father insisted on it. And, uh, because I think it just made my family to be who we are. Um, so didn't necessarily feel it, but here I yeah. am, you know, in the wake of that choice, feeling it. And so, uh, well, in a manner of speaking. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Well, no, I appreciate that very much. Yeah. So you, you mentioned, uh, not always being excited about it, or should we say pumped about it? Uh, and, <laughs> and yet were there, were there moments when, uh, kind of the monotonous nature of it, uh, the clouds parted and, uh, you you 
saw the 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 depth and beauty of it uh in your own life you know as growing up whether you were a teenager or you know a new dominican or things like that where you know you experienced you know a, kind of an outpouring of grace through the rosary um first off i want to salute you on your tulsa takedown that's it's a great like kind of like midwest slash great plainsy type way to just slay someone is you say what you want to say and then you say or perhaps and then you say what the other person said but what you're really saying is like that fool from out east using language in such a manner as to completely debase it over the course of years so i commend you for your great plains righteousness um so so i would say that like 99.99 percent of the time the rosary doesn't feel like anything, but I would also say that 99.99% of time life doesn't feel like anything. Mm. And I don't say that to like extol my desert virtues, but simply as a reflection of the fact that, yeah, like we pass through much of life in a kind of fatigued haze. And that's not because we're all like staying up till a billion 30, just raging every night, but it's because like life is difficult and it's often very full. And even if we don't choose, you know, of our own volition to fill it up, it has a way of getting filled up. And, you know, I need to tell you this, you know, with families and children, it's especially urgent the way in which life places demands whether or not you choose, you know, to uh, to abide by them or to consent to them. In my own life, it's something comparable. But there, there was one time in my life. So, like, I run, you know, <laughs> you talk about an engine running hot. I think you could talk about a human being running anxious. So I just run anxious. And as a result of which falling asleep for me has always been a special challenge. <laughs> and there are like times like uh initial formation and then first years of priesthood where I was running just I was just running super anxious and I'd have great difficulty. And so I would often find myself in the middle of the night just prowling around seeking the salvation of the souls. Um, and there was this one time where I was assigned in Colombia for the summer. I was assigned in Bogota for a couple of months. So foreign language, foreign cultural setting, foreign experience of religious life. And I was just kind of reeling and I just couldn't sleep. Like there was a period where I was just alternating nights on which I sleep or slept, which is not a way to live, but it's a way that one can live. I can testify. And I remember they, they had like a little porch where I used to just walk around the porch and pray the rosary. And I would alternate between just praying the rosary and then repeating a line for whichever reason stuck out to me from the liturgy of the hours, which is free me from my hidden faults and never let me sin through pride. And I mean, it's just like from one to four in the morning. That's not a place where you want to find yourself. Um, but it was a place where I experienced a great deal of you know, consolation, I suppose, or kind of conviction that this was meaningful, that even if I was just run ragged and I couldn't sit down and experience much in the way of mental prayer or contemplation, however you describe it, on the day that would follow or, you know, throughout most of the course of the week, because once you get in sleep debt, you're basically toast for a while. Um, but, but that like that my life still made some sense. And in part, because I could unite it with that of the Blessed Virgin Mary, uh, in contemplation of the mysteries of our Lord's life in the flesh, and that just simply gazing on them and asking for a deeper desire, you know, like basically a deeper appropriation of them, that that was enough. Like our Lord doesn't ask us impossible things in the life of faith. He just asks us to show up and that the rosary is a peculiar way, a particular way of showing up in simplicity and infidelity. Yeah, no, you covered a lot right there. I think that's that's uh, excellent because we went in multiple different directions of why men should pray the rosary daily. And one of them that I want to go back to, because we brought up the monotony and that triggered right in my mind, uh, St. Jose Maria Scriva, who said, blessed is the monotony of the Hail Marys that purifies the monotony of our sins. Right. And, and, and I think that's exactly it. Right. So the, it, you mentioned the, what was it? The four, 
rocks. What was the Magigoria that you? The five, five stones sorry, against your Goliath. Five stones, yeah. Five stones against your Goliath. Because I thank you. Uh, for, uh, it's only been ten minutes. And speaking of sleep deprivation, so um, I. Um, uh, but we talked about it being a weapon against Satan, both and obviously internally as well as externally. And and I know that it is a spiritual weapon, and we see as as recent as the Boko Haram, right, in that whole situation where that uh, bishop in Nigeria was. Uh, had that vision, right, of Our Lady, and she um, she handed him a sword, and when he reached for the sword to take down Boko Haram and, and the wickedness uh, that was happening over there, it turned into a rosary. And we see that all the way back to Lepanto, and we see, you know, throughout uh, the, the history here. So I'd love for you to talk a little bit about how it can be a weapon against Satan and against uh, both the internal and maybe even the external, um, you know, war that we are are fighting as as men day in and day out yeah i think there are a lot of like rich scriptural images which describe the way in which we're meant to appropriate the riches of our lord's life um because when we're talking about salvation what we're talking about is just god communicating the divine life and the chosen means that he has appointed to that end is a sacred humanity and that what he does in the flesh it signifies, you know, and it signifies in powerful fashion for our salvation. And so faith and sacrament, you know, bear that, um, or they kind of apply that, as it were, to our to our lives as individuals, as families, as a society, as a polity, as a church. Um, and so when, when I think about, you know, the Holy Rosary described, described as weaponry, I think about it kind of like more as like weaponry, as cum armor. Um, so like mm -hmm. Ephesians 6, when you hear it described like, you know, feet shot in the gospel and the sword of the spirit and the helmet of et cetera, you know, so like breastplate of righteousness and all these different yeah. uh, elements, as it were, of our spiritual habiliment uh, are described in, in, in most excellent fashion. Um, and I think that that corresponds to our experience of life, because when we are when we are called upon to live human life, we're called upon to be courageous because it's not straightforwardly evident that we're going to succeed or that we're going to overcome um, and because it's it's terrible and it's fearful and it's wildly overwhelming at various points, uh, but that by the virtue of courage, we have what it takes to engage at the very least, and even if we fail, to fail gloriously. Um, but, but when St. Thomas, for instance, talks about the virtue of courage, he breaks it up into two dimensions. The first is like the attack dimension, and then the latter is the endure dimension. With respect to the attack dimension, he lists confidence and magnificence, which would be like great deed doing. And then with respect to the endure dimension, he, he lists patience, which bears up under sorrow, and perseverance, which bears up unto the end. And he says, truth be told, endurance is the greater part, because endurance is the principal expression of the virtue of courage. And I think that for men, that's something consoling to hear, because I think a lot of us feel that um, like the battlefields have been taken from us, like the society has been emasculated, and we've been told to stay at home and prevent others from contracting contagion. When truth be told, like we weren't made for that, right? We were made. That's like, like during the pandemic, it's like, you know, your grandparents fought wars and all you're being asked to do is stay home. It's like, yeah, but we were made to fight wars. Like we weren't made to stay at home. And I think a lot of men feel a kind of frustration with that. But it's consoling insofar as there's a kind of encouragement to be drawn from the union that you have with Christ in undergoing the severity of life's trials. And I think that the rosary is a peculiar way by which to do that. And insofar as it does, it furnishes us with a kind of weapon because we clothe ourselves in the mysteries of Christ. Like we take a kind of, you know, not merely comfort and consolation, but we identify with and we associate our own mission with that of Christ. I mean, we receive it from him in recognizing it in him. 
And so in the rosary, we're gazing upon the mysteries of the life of Christ, and we find ourselves, you know, conformed to them or assimilated to them, such that he who told his story in Christ tells and knew that story in us, and that we are equipped thereby to, yeah, to communicate, to manifest and communicate something glorious about God uh, for those to whom we're sent. So that's kind of a winding way of getting about it, but that, that'd be a first, a first attempt. Yeah, no, I appreciate that. And I say that when I pray the rosary, which I do um, daily as as much as I can, and um, I fail, but uh, it it gives me that opportunity to do some prayers of petitions, you know, about my failings and shortcomings and uh, these ways which I'm looking to grow in that perfection of Christ. And and then being able to quickly unite my vice, you know, you know, unite my thoughts on my vices to the virtues which are being displayed by Christ and Our Lady are something that's um, very edifying. So, yeah, I, I agree, and. I want to just affirm like that point that you were making about the monotony and the ordinariness of life. Like, I think it's actually not that hard to create experiences, you know, just go to, go to a, a rock concert, you know, and you'll get amped up, you know, you'll be jumping around. Like you'll feel, you'll feel something. Uh, or I just drank some coffee, right. You'll, you'll drink a cup of coffee and you'll get a burst of energy and, you know, a lot of religion today, unfortunately, is about chasing experiences, about those mountaintop moments uh, that we can sometimes have in the spiritual life. But I love that you're calling us to embrace just this ordinary, monotonous practice that may not always feel like, you know, you're on the mountaintop, but it's still purifying your soul, still deepening your soul. And I guess I want to also get your clarification just real quick on really the point of the rosary because i think a lot of times people um have different perspectives on that so one would be like you were saying like well are like blessed mother just told us to do it i don't really like know why beyond that so i'm just i'm just i might do it for that reason which is yeah. not wrong um but is it is it about like checking off a religious box is it like about you know uh kind of viewing god in this transactional way as john was talking about like pressing the right religious buttons and then getting things in return is it about you know meditating on our lord's life is it like i mean there's so many different reasons that you could pray the rosary like what would you say is kind of the chief reason that a man should pick up his rosary and pray it especially when he's feeling that resistance kicking in like i don't want to do this like, what would you say to that person? Yeah, I can propose a couple of solutions. One would just be like the kind of, what would I say, theoretical and the, like not in the dry or bad sense of theoretical, but like what pertains to the speculative order. And then the other would be more existential, which would be kind of like what pertains to the practical order. Um, is it necessary to make distinctions before giving your response at each opportunity, Father Gregory? Probably not, but you just can't help yourself anymore. It's helpful. Um, yeah. yeah. Okay, perfect. So let's start with the latter and then move to the former. So existentially, the reason that I'm convinced that it's good to pray the rosary is like because of my dad. And I think that a lot of things in Christian life have this existential appeal. It's like you you see men who pray the rosary daily and they've built their house on solid rock. And you have the sneaking suspicion that the rosary went into that. You don't know exactly how, but you have the suspicion that such is the case. Like Marian men tend to be the best men. It's It's fascinating. Like you spend all your time, you know, 
performing certain devotions or praying certain devotions dedicated to a woman, and yet you end up more man. Because there's this kind of like crass alpha maleism, which loses sight of the feminine and then just kind of devolves into tropes, um, where it's all about like, you know, banging the drum and beating the breast, but then you just lose sight of the heart, which is ultimately what's most masculine, um, you know, to be able to lead, but with an attentiveness and to care for those who are entrusted to you, you know, so um, my, my experience is that, you know, men who pray the rosary just have a way of staying sane and beyond merely staying sane. They have a way of becoming more real. Like I've observed this of my father. I've also observed this of a couple of people with whom I went to school at Steubenville. There's one guy who was a residence director. And I remember overhearing a conversation between a couple of his RAs and they're like, yeah, we got a meeting with Lewis uh, later today. And then one of them asked, like, you think we're going to pray the rosary? Maybe the person was deciding whether or not to pray a rosary on his own or whether he could just hold off in anticipation of their meeting. And the other dude responded like, dude, it's Lewis. Yeah, we're going to pray. <laughs> and now he's a priest. I think he's of the, of the Archdiocese of Port-au-Prince. He's Haitian, Louis Morosny. Um, But yeah, he's a boss. I mean, like the Blessed Mother has seen him through great difficulties and he continues to encourage those for whom he was ordained. So there's something there. Uh, so that'd be the existential. On the theoretical level, it just makes sense to me that we should be in living contact with the mysteries that save. So different ways to be in living contact. One is faith and one is sacraments. Those are the principal ways. St. Thomas Aquinas says that by faith, you know, these mysteries are, are kind of applied to us spiritually. And by sacrament, they are applied to us physically. The rosary is beautiful insofar as it has it has elements of both. You know, I mean, the whole Christian life has elements of both, but it's an embodied prayer. And I think that's one of the reasons for which it was wielded in the mission field in the 13th century, because it was addressed to uh, heretics who had kind of foreclosed on the goodness of the body. They said, nah, can't possibly be good. Let's just rule out the incarnation. Let's rule out the sacramental dispensation. Let's rule out X, Y, and Z other things, which is crazy town, because those are the means by which we come to the divine life and our appropriation thereof. So um, it's 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 a prayer whereby, you know, like you gaze on the mysteries of Christ, which are spiritual realities, which continue to operate here, but you like do it in your body. I mean, simple ways like tolling the beads, but a lot of people walk when they pray, you kneel when you pray, you do whatever, you know, when you pray or you kind of engage with the rosary in a way that suits best. But um, I think that that's also something that's super important, just like to be in contact with the mysteries of Christ and the way in which they were intended to be recognized and received. So like Christ lived them in the body and he communicated them to us to be lived in the body. And I think the rosary kind of gives us a way by which to do that. Yeah, no, I appreciate that. A lot of great comments. And one of the things is, is you mentioned about kind of like uh, your father. And actually, this is leapfrogging uh, for me, but I do want to talk briefly about that. And, you know, kind of how was it brought up in your family? Because we have a lot of fathers that are listening to this episode, and a lot of them really struggle with the fact that when they sit down to pray the rosary or kneel down to pray the rosary, whatever the case might be with their children, you know, their little kids struggle to stay focused, and then they are prone to anger and other, you know, impatience, etc. Uh, how would you recommend uh, fathers? How was it uh, lived out within your family? I think that would be something that, well, I know I'm very fascinated in hearing. Yeah. I would say for fathers, don't feel like you need to argue, just assert. This is something that was taught to me about preaching. Um, in, in the context of preaching, you don't argue. Teaching, it's a different, if it's, it's a different matter. Uh, but in preaching, you don't argue, you just assert. You might want to manifest to your auditors that there are reasons which underlie your assertions. So you don't want to come across like, you know, raw asserter. 
but um, it's sufficient to assert and then people follow up with you. Cool. But when it comes to like your justification for things as a father, you don't want to get in the habit of arguing with your kids because mm -hmm. one, they're kids. And, you know, like this culture's kind of youth worship is totally unhinged. And you can have a kind of confidence that you're old, you're experienced, you know what's best. So trust your gut. Um, but also when you when you start arguing with your kids, you give them a kind of handle or handhold on a potential rebuttal. And, and they're going to appropriate your arguments incompletely. And then they're just going to like pick out some piece of your argument, which they find to be dissatisfactory. And then they're going to kind of push back like, well, that's and such a yada yada. It's like, I remember trying to argue with my dad when I was eight. And I, and I used this, this particular logic. I said, all right, pops. I didn't say that. I was eight. Um, I said, daddy, um, uh, I go to school and, you know, school isn't great. I don't like it that much but they give us a summer vacation. So like two months, three months, which is nice. I said, okay, now I go to church and I don't really like church that much. I mean, it's whatever. It's not too great. But, and like, before I even finished the, what I thought to be absolutely perfect logical argument, he goes, listen, you can do whatever you want, but if you're going to live in my house, you'll go to mass on Sunday. And I was like, okay. <laughs> but my dad wasn't like, well, son, you have to understand the precepts of the church have a great justification, which can be a, uh, you know, really teased out historically and culturally. And if you see it for, you know, it's just like my dad just said, like, if you want to live here, you're going to go to mass. And and I don't think, you know, I'm not encouraging like brutal violence on, on the part not, of fathers, but it's just like, like, just, just tell your kids. And I think that like a good, you know, ensign in the Navy or like a good cadet in the army, they're going to hear your orders and realize they're meant to march. Obviously that's going to need to be, you know, retooled and rejiggered in certain circumstances. But um, when it comes to the rosary, it's like, if you're convicted as to its efficacy, then that's all you need to project. You just need to assert, I'm convicted of its efficacy. I'm the father of this household. I do so in consultation with my wife because I love her and because I trust her and because we're one flesh. But like when I say we're going to mass, we're going to mass. When I say we're going to confession, we're going to confession. When I say we're praying the rosary, we're praying the rosary. Boom. <laughs> yeah. I love it. I, I really appreciate that. Thank you so much. Yeah. And I, I want to, uh, yeah, I just, I love what you're saying because it's like the, um, leadership of a father really makes a, a huge impression on kids. And, you know, my, uh, son walked in on me and I was praying rosary here in my office and then my son walked in and, um, immediately is like, Oh, sorry to interrupt dad. But then he went and got his rosary and knocked back on the door and said, can I join you? And, and so we prayed the rosary together and it was a really incredible moment, but like those most moments stick with kids, I think where they, they see that leadership and not only by example, but also, you know, by word and, and, um, you know, kids aren't always going to want to do it, but ultimately it, it is shaping their approach to life going forward. Um, and I guess one, one practical question I have for you, um, about the rosary is one thing I've always found challenging to be perfectly honest is meditating on the mysteries of the rosary while I'm praying the rosary. Like I have, I have like tunnel vision where I can only like single task. So I can either like say the words or meditate on the mysteries, but it's really hard for me to do both. And so I'm wondering like, what's your recommendations there? Like, is that like an essential part of, you know, the, the rosary? Like, do you have to be like visualizing these scenes and like trying to enter in them? Or can you just say the Hail Marys? Or like, what, what are your thoughts, I guess, on that practical aspect? 
Yeah. So yeah, ideally you meditate on the mysteries. I think I've probably meditated on the mysteries like seven times in my whole life and it was tortured on <laughs> each occasion. Um, so there, I mean, there are ways in which you can help yourself. Magnificat has a rosary companion, which has illustrations, uh, not illustrations in like the kids book sense, but like paintings from the middle ages, which are beautiful and might help you to draw something from it. Um, the scriptural rosary can be nice just to hear what the sacred scriptures has to say. Uh, or have to say about each of the mysteries. But I think too, like, I, I, I pray the prayers, and I I also just kind of drift, and I'm completely content with drifting, just like thinking about my life in conversation with the Lord's. Uh, and that I try to keep off, like at arm's length, certain kinds of drifting, like I try not to get hyper practical, like starting to list the things that I have to do later on that day, or worrying about particular situations that I know I'm just going to, I'm just gonna, yeah, I'm not going to produce anything fruitful in the context of my meditation. I mean, there's a time where we we're making a pond at the novitiate. And I was I spent like an incredible amount of rosary time just thinking about how to execute the waterfall without it leaking. So that's not edifying, but it's just to be like, to be honest, everyone's going to have his mind wander whilst praying the rosary. But I think you try to gently bring your mind back. And if you if you focus on the words, good, right, they'll at the very least remind you of the mystery of the Annunciation and then just like the dispensation of the Incarnation. But when it, when it comes to prayer, my general my general thought is that we needn't worry too terribly much about it being perfect, because I think that sets us off in a certain direction where it's like, oh man, I need to read another Jacques Philippe book, and I need to like set all these different goals, and I need to, uh, yeah, just kind of stress and anguish about the quality and content of my prayer. Whereas my, my general sensibility is that the Lord, you know, the Holy Spirit is the one who is the giver of prayer. And the most important yeah. thing is fidelity and not purposefully courting distraction or not purposefully indulging in the types of activity which will fatigue us. And I think for a lot of men, this means, yeah, at the end of the day, you're tired, but you know what's going to make you more tired? Staying up and watching television, you know, which is which is a tough thing to confront. But I think that's probably where the battle need be uh, need be fought. Yeah, no, I agree. And I think um, the fidelity is such an important point. And, and I want to actually talk a little bit more about uh, something that I read St. Louis de Montfort say in his um, Secrets of the Rosary, where he said that it's going to set your hearts on fire for love of Christ and our Blessed Mother. And I know that I personally experienced that in my own um, devotion to praying the rosary daily, and I've actually seen it within my children, right? So in praying the rosary daily, you know, I think that's something with prayer, right? Pray as you can, not as you can't. Something that you, you know, were just alluding to is this idea of like, as we saturate ourselves within the daily rosary and, and we decide to prioritize that in life, which is of a, of a higher importance and, and purpose, such as sticking to praying the rosary daily, we find it kind of like assimilating into all other aspects of life. And, and so I'd love to hear you um, say or express it. Have you seen that? Have you witnessed that as you, as you stick to it, like a deeper, yeah, love of, of Christ and our blessed mother? Is that something that has, um, let's say, happened to you throughout this process? Yeah, I don't know. It's it's kind of hard to take your own temperature um, because yeah. when it comes to growth in the life of faith, often it's it's like by the testimony of others that you'll get mm. the best feedback, and you can you can gauge it a little bit yourself. But it's usually over the course of months and years, and even then, it's kind of by evidential signs more so than by direct proofs. But I think there have been times in my life where I felt more in the way of like affection or emotion or kind of like sensible, tangible passion 
in, in my relationship, specifically with the Blessed Virgin Mary, because it was a thing that I like thought about and focused on a lot in high school and college. And it's not to say that I don't now. Um, but there was there was a kind of moment when I entered the novitiate and I was receiving the habit. And uh, my novice master, he laid hold of the consecration chain that I had on my wrist, the uh, kind of like Louis de Montfort, slave of Mary, um, sacramental. And he, he encouraged me basically to remove it right before vestition. And he, he laid hold of his habit and he said, this is enough. And at first I was scandalized because I was like, how could you possibly suggest that I drop any element of my Marian devotion? Um, but then it kind of made sense to me over the course of the next, you know, weeks and months, because I think that there's a, there's a temptation to externalize our faith uh, in an unhealthy way. I think it's good to externalize our faith insofar as, you know, belief is going to be made manifest in confession. So there's this twofold dimension of faith. Uh, but but I think that sometimes we can externalize as a kind of, not crutch, but as a substitute uh, for the difficult work of internalizing that faith. So, you know, you'll find people who kind of treat their bodies as sacramental billboards, whether by tattoos or by, you know, like chains and bands and, you know, like things that they hang around their neck. And it's like the bigger, the better, the more prominent, the better, which cool. I mean, kudos to you for overcoming your fear of judgment of the 21st century, but also are you doing the serious work of appropriating that? And I think that what he was trying to communicate with the habit of St. Dominic was you are going to be clothed in your Marian devotion because there's a, I mean, for those who are watching, you know, online, the like central part of the habit is itself a scapular. So I'm wearing like a 10 and a half foot scapular. Yeah. Um, which is big. And, and 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 I think that like there's a kind of way that one entrusts himself to the Blessed Mother and says, listen, I'm yours. Do with me what you will. And that's it. Just period. Um, and I think there's, yeah, there's something about a mother's love where you can kind of repose in it. Um, and I've noticed that my mother passed away two years ago. She died of cancer. And I, I don't like think of my mom all the time. I probably think about her every day. And I especially think about her when I when I wake up and when I go to bed. But the moments where I've missed my mom the most in the last two years have been the moments where I felt most vulnerable or the moments where like I found myself in a really, really difficult interpersonal situation that I just wanted to go away pronto or when I was staring down the barrel of like a 17 hour technological troubleshoot or something like or I got lost while hiking or in the woods or something like that, which has happened more times than I care to admit. And I think that there's like, yeah, there's something about a mother's love where it's just it's the baseline. It's the ground floor. It is that of which you are most certain in the world because you know it to be unconditional. And I think that we we can in our Christian lives just uh, yeah, we can make use, as it were, because we can talk about the life of grace in those terms. We can make use of our mother's love with a kind of simplicity and confidence that need not make reference to it at every moment or every turn, but that abides in it, that kind of reposes in it, and that continually returns to it. And so, yeah, I hope that I have grown in that. I'm not sure, but I hope that I have. Yeah, no, I appreciate that. Yeah, I, I, the, the, the point about a sacramental billboard uh, made me laugh because when I first converted, I was kind of falling into that trap. You know, I had, I had like, you know, metals, scapulars, chains, like <laughs> I had, uh, I had a lot going on. And, um, and then over time, I gradually simplified and realized that, yeah, it's more of a matter of internalizing it. Not that there's anything wrong with those things. Um, but they have to be an outward manifestation manifestation of that inward disposition. Um, and I also love, you know, love the the point you're making about, you know, a mother's love. 
Because I think, you know, the, the, the Marian dimension is interesting because in the one sense, she's like, you know, she is our mother uh, and and we, there can be this very maternal, loving relationship with her. It's also the sense of when you, you call her like Our Lady, like there's like this sense of like nightly devotion, you know, to a lady, you know, and like the uh, there's a beautiful old painting. Uh, I can't remember the name of it, but one of those... Um, romantic era paintings where the, where the knight and the lady's like tying a, a handkerchief around his arm as he's, he's going to go to battle. And, but that's like her token, you know, and, and it's kind of like, uh, I think we can have that same relationship to our blessed mother, you know, and we're in a sense that like we, uh, the, our love for her is what motivates us to, to fight um, both, you know, in a sense, our fallen nature, but also, perhaps cultural ills, you know, um, and, and stand up for truth and goodness in this world. Um, and so I guess I'm just, you know, in your opinion, like, uh, what can the more, I guess, combative aspect look like in the world today? You know, I think a lot of guys, men, like you said, have like this, this desire to fight and stand up when they feel like maybe emasculated or something, but sometimes even, within like the Catholic world that can kind of turn toxic. Um, like what does a healthy combativeness look like in, in uh, your experience or opinion, like that, that uh, strikes that right balance between, you know, fighting for the good without letting anger and hatred consume us and that sort of thing. So love your thoughts on that. Yeah. I would say, I mean, kind of abstracting from sending from the conversation on the rosary. I think that um, there's there's a kind of place for anger in the spiritual life. And, and, you know, a lot of people say like righteous anger, our Lord, whip woven of many cords, etc. But he was without original sin and personal sin. And so it's much easier for him to appropriate anger than it is for us, all of which is true. So anger has a way of blinding, it has a way of obscuring that's especially potent. And so we need to be very, very careful in indulging in anger. But I also think that like, you know, the 21st century is just nuts. It's just nuts. It's totally yeah. nuts. And I think the appropriate response to that, at least in certain circumstances, is anger. Um, George Orwell, not necessarily a Christian, uh, but he said that in order to be a good writer, you have to wake up angry every morning. And I think there's something to that because anger, it kind of... Um, you know, sharpens our critical faculty, and it helps us to address injustice specifically, uh, but kind of nonsense or tomfoolery, um, because with this kind of passionate force or with this kind of motive or impulse of outrage, it gives us um, an urgency to, to sound the depths of whatever phenomenon is currently under consideration so that we can just rip the heart out of it because we want to be able to serve that heart back up to the person who perpetrated the injustice and say, look, look at this crass hypocrisy, look at this nonsense. Um, and I think that's, I don't think that's all bad. I think that's good. Now, mind you, sometimes I get really angry and I get really sad. I would say those are my default modes. Uh, I attribute this up to ethnic determinism. Um, so I'm Irish. And as a result of which, it's just, there's no getting beyond it. Um, but, but like, I'll come before the Lord in prayer, usually in the context of a holy hour, which I will shall say first thing in the morning. And I'll kind of just say, I am sad and I am angry. And that's it. You know, I mean, if you want to change me, it's your prerogative, right? But I really don't know how to change myself, except that when those thoughts come up um, and I start ideating on them 
And I start thinking like, I'm going to get back. I'm going to prove wrong. I'm going to, you know, we all have ways <laughs> of entertaining that line of thought. Um, I just try to check that. And I just say, you know, Lord Jesus Christ, I cover myself in your most precious blood and I bind and send to the foot of the cross, the spirit of false vindication that you may do with it there what you will. Because I realize there's, I mean, there's a demonic influence at work there. It just, it just is. And when I give my mind to that, yeah, it's just, it's just crazy town. So I would say that, you know, there's a place for anger and that you can marshal your anger specifically in leading the troops. And for most men, that'll be in terms of, you know, leading their wife and children. Um, and just looking at the nonsense, which might not like otherwise cow us into a slavish fear or a rank conformity. And it's like, no, no, we're not going to do that, you know, um, and and not to be, you know, a jerk about it, but but to be s strong and solid and firm. You know, like your parish has like a pride celebration of a very ambiguous sort. And you're like, what in the world does this mean? You know, and you bring your family with you to talk to father because it's not only important that you confront father, but that you, you know, like that father sees the implications of his choice. Like you're confusing children, right? Um, they're like, yeah, there are just different ways to go about it. Or like it's it's June and, you know, all of our contemporaries, I mean, it was June, all of our contemporaries are going nuts for Pride Month. It's like that's when you drill down as a father and you say like a litany of the Sacred Heart. You consecrate your family anew to the Sacred Heart. You ask your priest to come to your house and enthrone the Sacred Heart, you know, like there are different ways by which to go about it. Um, but if it's informed by anger, if you find your, you know, like your heart pounding at a little faster of a clip and your rate of speech increasing with every minute, you know, like, all right. That's good. That's that's entirely appropriate. And I think, you know, when we introduce or reintroduce the rosary into the conversation, there's a sense in which like the rosary is a kind of military prayer. It's like a rowing hymn. You know, it's the type of thing which if the Vikings had known the proclamation of our Lord Jesus Christ, they would have used in the seventh century as they went from island to island to stay in time. Like it's there's something about it that's martial. And I think that you can employ all those, you know, different elements in the way in which you uh you know, you lead your family and kind of command the troops. Yeah, it is. And we've talked about it being a spiritual combat. We've talked about it um, helping you grow in virtue and meditate on the life of Christ and all those things. So I guess for um, my final question for you, Father, is is more of a general one, is what what finishing thoughts do you have for men to stay committed to praying the daily rosary if... Um, you know, if all the reasons that we have placed forth aren't uh, aren't enough, uh, I want to make sure that you have that opportunity to encourage men and guide them. And so I know that's not very specific, but we'd really love to hear from you as to, you know, what's that last push of why men need to take up this devotion? And maybe it's because we live in such crazy times, as you were saying, that it is just so absurd, some of the stuff we're hearing and in this we can control, and this we can unify ourselves with the church, with Christ, with Our Lady, with each other um, in that practice. And I'd, I'd just love to hear from you those those thoughts. Yeah, maybe maybe I can just be super practical and just talk about things that might need to change in your life in order to facilitate a growth in the life of prayer, and you know, mm. in the life of praying or prayer of the most most holy rosary of the Blessed Virgin Mary. And one thing I would say is, you know, be prepared to think outside the box. Sometimes we treat elements of our life as if they were fixtures when they are not fixtures. So I'm not saying that this is something that you should do. But recently, I, I haven't entirely cut out alcohol, but I've kind of stopped drinking alcohol. And it's funny, like in, in you know, conversations among Catholic men, there are certain mainstays where it's like, 
these are things we can celebrate about our common masculinity. It's like, we're going to smoke meats. We're going to shoot guns. We're going to drink beer and we're going to smoke cigars, which is like, I support all those things. One thousand. Yeah, sign me up. <laughs> yeah. But, but in my case, when I drink alcohol, even just a little bit, I wake up the next day with a headache and I am sad and distracted for like many hours, uh, which is a pain in the butt. It's just a pain in the butt. Um, because that just makes me not want to be present to the things for which I'm responsible. It makes me not want to pray. It makes me all kinds of things. I mean, it's an occasion for that. And, um, so I just, yeah, I, this past Lent, I just didn't drink alcohol and I was just, I was like, so surprised at how good I felt. Not that the point of human life is to feel good, but how much more joyfully I was able to give myself to my responsibilities. And so, you know, the microbrew culture is just proceeding with incredible rapidity and they are even proceeding along lines of non-alcoholic beer so i recently you know i'm trying out these different athletic brews and stuff like that which whatever they're not my favorite but still it, it for, for me the like the mind-boggling occasion was when i was assigned in germany and i was assigned to a dominican community there and i think you know whatever they had a fridge full of non-alcoholic beer and i was like the what is going on but then i drank it and it wasn't that bad and i still you know partook of the communio that i was hoping to have with the men you know that i shared the beer with and, you know, st and I'll, I'll still smoke a cigar here and there, but it's just like, this for me was a fixture. It's like, in order to be a Catholic man, you need to drink beer and smoke cigars, smoke meats and shoot guns. And, and here my life, it didn't become entirely incoherent when I stopped drinking beer, but that proved, you know, a, a great occasion for, for deepening of my prayer life. So I'd say, be prepared to think outside the box and don't assume which the fixtures that you think to be fixtures are in fact fixtures. Yeah, yeah, find the essentials, you know, and, and and kind of prune away whatever might be getting in the way of that prayer life. And, you know, I think uh, my biggest takeaway from what you're saying is just the uh, sanctifying ordinary life with a consistent sacred practice of the rosary, keeping that doorway to the spiritual open um, because it's so easy to get it crowded out. Um, and so I, I, my last question is, is just a simple one on, on motivation. Um, just the, the, uh, kind of scholastic domestic, uh, take on motivation is, is always intriguing to me, but like how, like, you know, it's easy to just say, just be disciplined, just do it. But the point is there has to be something in you that pushes you to do that so like if you don't feel that you don't you like there's like zero desire there in fact there's like active resistance to picking up that rosary maybe you see it it's not a matter of forgetting like you see it sitting there you know you should do it like your logical brain is telling you like you'll be glad that you did this and yet you still choose some lesser good um uh, and and like how do you like from the mystery perspective how do you overcome that inner resistance. Yeah, the typical Thomistic move is that you motivate the heart by means of the mind. So if you get a new vantage on the good, if you see the good from a new perspective or have a richer appreciation for how good the good in fact is, that your heart kind of comes along in turn. So a typical Dominican move is to just recommend a book. Um, so a highbrow <laughs> book about the Blessed Virgin Mary is uh, The Mother of the Redeemer and Our Interior Life by Reginald Gary Lagrange. Uh, a mm -hmm. kind of good mid-tier book is The World's First Love by Fulton Sheen, Bishop Fulton Sheen. And then a, go a good um, kind of like low tier, by low tier, I mean like super accessible and mostly, you know, stories, kind of pious recountings would be the one that you mentioned, The Secret of Mary, which I think a lot of people like. 
uh, if you're looking for more of like a philosophical apologetic for praying to saints, uh, specifically the Blessed Virgin Mary, there's a good one that's available online for free by Orestes Brownson, O-R-E-S-T-E-S Brownson, B-R-O-N-S-O-N, called Saint Worship. And then I wrote a book with Matt Fred about Marian consecration, which is called Marian consecration with Aquinas. And it's kind of like a, a, a devout apologetic is how I would describe it. So it, it attempts to be mystagogical, take you by the hand, lead you into the mysteries themselves and give you a richer appreciation for them. So that's like pamphlet length. It can't be more than like 85 pages, 90 pages, something like that. Yeah. Thank excellent. You yeah. Or, or listen to a podcast, right? Excite the mind right, um, right. and, uh, and do that. Wonderful. Well, uh, father, I, I am grateful for you being here. I want to give you some time to talk about this, uh, rosary pilgrimage. I mean, I'm inspired. And I think on September 30th, I know you guys are doing one. Why don't you share a little bit of information about this rosary pilgrimage? We're going to drop that in the show notes as well. So that men listening to this can take a look at it and understand what you and your, your, you know, great brothers, uh, they're over in the East are, are doing to help champion the rosary. Yeah. So it's to take place, like you said, on September 30th in Washington, DC at the Basilica of the National Shrine of the Immaculate Conception. And I'm actually just looking at the schedule of this event for the first time. I didn't realize what was going on. I've just been listing random pious acts as all featuring into it. Turns out I was mostly right. I think I told people that there was going to be a procession. I don't see a procession on the schedule, but hopefully there'll still be a procession. Maybe there'll be a procession as part of the mass. Um, but yeah, I guess I'm giving, <laughs> I'm giving I think two... you can make that, uh, make that happen with your, uh, yeah. being the principal preacher there. So <laughs> it seems that way. Yeah. I'm giving it. To, yep. I'm giving two conferences. Um, and then we're going to have exposition and adoration opportunity for confession, further preaching, still recitation of the Holy Rosary together, vigil mass, the, uh, plenary indulgences will just abound. Um, so, and, and mm -hmm. it's also a good opportunity to like, get to know some of the friars that folks have been hearing from with you know just the province in general the Thomistic institute god's planning um and other things besides so a lot of us will be there and we look forward to you know like meeting you visiting with you and uh yeah praying with you amen well thank you for joining us father really appreciate your time and your wisdom and, and sharing it with us today my joy thanks for having me yeah, thanks. So I just want to read the scripture here before we finish up, right? Uh, we kind of touched on this quite a bit, but it's from 2 Corinthians. Though we live in the world, we are not carrying on a worldly war, for the weapons of our warfare are not worldly, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. So let that be the rosary for you men. We appreciate you joining us. And as we end each of our episodes, be a man, be a saint.